0: Father God, we thank you for this part of your word. We thank you for Andrew's gifts, and we ask that as he speaks to us, you'll speak through him by your spirit. Draw us closer to yourself. Teach us something that we can take away about our daily walk with you, because we ask in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks. God, it's bright up here, isn't it? He's dazzled. Um, I think I've left my notes somewhere. Where have I left my notes? Oh, here they are. That's all right. Chairs <laughs> <laughs> already said that we are getting right to the very end. Despite what people have said before, now we really are at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And, and I hope you found as we've gone through that that these are foundational words of Jesus. They affect every aspect of our life, our behavior. They look at things like worry, Lust, integrity, there's so much in here that has transformed the lives of individuals and of society. And as we get to the end of them, we come to this evening's passage, which is all about building the house on the rock or the house on the sand. And as Claire alluded to, we probably know, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock or something the rain came tumbling down. We all know that one. But what, at its very heart, it's all about is Jesus is saying, listening to teaching, hearing it, is useless unless you obey it, unless you build your house on it. Building a house on Jesus is building a house on a solid foundation. Building a life on what you think on alternative worldviews, is like building on the sand. And it's only as we build our house on the rock that our lives will stand up to the many pressures that we're under. And I think we do live in a very troubled world. So this is a key message this evening about building our faith on solid rock that will withstand the pressures of life. So let's now read the passage. If we could have the first, slide on and margaret will need a lollipop mic i think because she's oh, going to read or oh, you could do it there if you like Yeah. so this is matthew chapter 7 starting at verse 24.
0: therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law.
1: And if we can have it now in the message, because we can blank the slide, Ron. Um, The the message, I think, brings out the the, the whole theme rather well, so we'll have it in the message now.
0: These words I speak to you are not in the to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living they are foundational words words to build a life on if you work these words into your life you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock rain poured down the river flooded a tornado hit but nothing moved that house it was fixed to the rock but if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach when a storm rolled in and the waves came up it collapsed like a house of cards when Jesus concluded his address the crowd burst into applause they had never heard teaching like this It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religion. This was the best teaching they had ever heard.
1: Thank you very much. Now, I want to, before we look at actually the parable itself of the house on the rock, just to go to the very end of the passage, because I think it's really very revealing. If we could look at verses 28 and 29, which I hope will come up, notice what we hear about the reaction of the crowds after Jesus has given this whole Sermon on the Mount. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. And when we look at the message version, I think it's rather nice. If you remember it says, the crowds burst into applause. They'd never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything that he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religious teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. Now just notice that little bit. It was apparent that he was religious, everything that he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religious teachers. And I think this brings into focus this passage, this parable that we're considering this evening. Because the parable of the wise and the foolish builder, is really all about obedience. It's saying that listening to the teaching is not enough. It's putting it into practice. It's obedience that is key. And that's what the religious leaders were not doing. But the crowd saw that Jesus was living what he preached. And in many ways, it continues what Alan was speaking to us about last week. Do remember some verses that he talked on, 21 to 23 of this chapter? And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. but well, this is key. But only the one who does the will of my Father, who does the will, it's obedience. Hearing is valueless unless it leads to action. The believers version, uh, RV Tasca put it this way. We may use the believers vocabulary, Repeat the believer's formulas, recite the believer's creed, and take part in believer's activities without being a real believer. And William Barclay says something similar in his commentary. Knowledge must become action, theory must become practice, theology must become life. The reality of our faith is shown in our obedience, in how we act. And that is what it is to build our house on the rock. It's living according to Jesus' teaching, laying the foundations of a life that will be secure. Both his teaching and him himself are the rock that we build upon. I think we can have the next slide probably because it gives a nice example. Um, I'm not sure where I got those from, but it's quite a contrast, isn't it? So, building a house, on a rock and sand. So what is at the key then? I think the key message we want to get across this evening is that obedience to Jesus' teaching provides that firm foundation for life. And as with most of Jesus' parables, he was speaking in a way that would be very familiar or about a topic that would be very familiar to those who were hearing him. Because what he was dealing, doing here is talking about local building practices in Palestine at the time. And we get a better feel of that if we uh, think about how Luke gave the same parable. It's a slightly different emphasis, because Luke says it's all about the depth of your foundations that makes the house stand. He puts it this way in Luke 648. The person who puts Jesus' words into practice is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on the rock. In conscious house on the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the ground without foundation. So the slight difference in emphasis but it's the same message. It's the foundations that are key. You've got to dig down and reach solid rock if your house is gonna stand. And that would have been a very familiar thing for the Palestinian builders, because the soil there was at different depths, but most of the topsoil was quite clayey, and you had to dig down to get to the rock to make sure that the ground or the foundations were firm. The problem was that when it came to summer and the the soil dried out, the clay became rock-hard, and it was very tempting not to go down very far, because it felt hard, it felt solid, because the clay had sort of baked. But when the winter came and the rain came, that clay would get soft, and the house would collapse. No, you've got to dig right through, you've got to put the effort in, and dig through that soft clay to get to the rock beneath. So, deep, Stable foundations are key. Now, sadly, the events in Turkey and Syria have really shown how important this is. We can have the next slide. It's, it's been tragic. I could have shown much worse pictures than this. But I wanted to show this picture in Turkey because you notice that some of the, the buildings are standing. And that's because they've been built properly according to the regulations. And you may have heard that there's been a lot of shoddy building practices, and that has greatly exacerbated the loss of life. Those buildings have collapsed. But nowadays, with proper technology, even big earthquakes, if the foundations are right, and the building is properly constructed, it will stand. One of the worst earthquakes in terms of loss of life, you have the next slide, was in Haiti, back in 2010. The earthquake was actually five times less than that one in Turkey. But it was even worse devastation because the houses were not built at all well. And you can see how many people died. Foundations are key. Another analogy, if you ever think about trees. Now, some of you will know that you can have trees like the beech trees that have quite shallow roots whereas oak trees tend to go down deeper. But in the middle of the storm back in the 80s, forests of beech were devastated, but in the middle of them, I don't know if you can see, but right in the middle there where that arrow is, there's an oak tree, and it's still standing. So the key point is the same. The foundations are critical if you're gonna survive the storms of life, just as a tree survives the storm, Um, like this. So digging deep foundations is vital, but it requires effort, doesn't it? It, It's always easier to not dig quite so deep. Very tempting. And I'm I'm reminded also of another analogy where this shows that hard work is really much better, but you don't like it, and that's in decorating. If we could have the next one. Now, you all know, I, I imagine, that to do really good decorating, the preparation is more important than putting on the paint afterwards. You know, you've got to dig out all the loose stuff, sand it down and so on. And only then will you get decorations that will last. But it's very tempting to short, take shortcuts. Not a good idea in the long term. And I think it's very tempting in our Christian lives sometimes not to put in the effort. And our faith will not be as firm as if we put in the effort. Listen to these words from another theologian, T.W. Manson, commenting on this passage. He puts it this way. It will simplify the discussion if we admit the truth at the outset, that the teaching of Jesus is difficult and unacceptable because it runs counter to those elements in human nature which the 20th century, he wrote last century, but 21st century would be the same, that that century has in common with the first century, such things as laziness, greed, the love of pleasure, the instinct to hit back and the like. The teaching of Jesus as a whole shows that Jesus was well aware of this and recognized that here and nowhere else lay the obstacle that had to be surmounted. We've got to put in the hard work and we don't like to, to have firm foundations. We rather prefer the words of Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. And I'm not gonna sing it, don't worry. <laughs> but we do, don't we? We, we, we? we like the shortcut, we like to do it the easy way. And I don't think there's any better example of that to me uh, than what happens when you get a new gadget or you get flat flat-pack furniture. Now, they always come with instructions. And I, I don't know if this is a male thing, but I don't bother with instructions. (laughs) And then it all goes wrong. Um, There's a nice picture here of Flatpak. Now, he's reading the instructions. And I have to say, it's not always very easy to get through these instructions with Flatpaks. Uh, But at least he's reading them. But what happens if you don't read them is you can get into a right mess. And sometimes, you have the next slide, um, it does lead to disagreements. (laughs) You will notice there that the woman has the instructions, (laughs) the man doesn't. And he's got problems. Because basically, we, we don't like the hard work. I mean, I, 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 Margaret will tell you, I'm not very good at reading instructions. But of course, the manufacturer's instructions are there for a purpose. They're giving the wisdom of the people who built it, so that when we construct it, we get it right. Now, Jesus' teaching, well, that's divine instruction, isn't it? And that will enable us to build our lives, to get the best out of our lives. If we're wise, we take note of instructions. If we're wise, we take note of Jesus' teaching and we act on it if we're going to get a better, secure Christian life. We are wise to heed the wisdom of experts. And I just want to take it aside here because you know, one of the extraordinary things about scripture is the way you, you can dig at it and think, wow, I'd never thought of that before. And one of the things that struck me as I was looking at this is that, you know, Jesus is described at the beginning of John's gospel as the logos. In the beginning was the word, the logos. He was there from the very beginning, he was the creation. But that, that word logos is fascinating because it was the same word that was used for the Greek seeking knowledge, philosophy, the great philosophers' like Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Philo, to love, Sophia knowledge. The philosophers were seeking the logos, the wisdom, the ultimate wisdom. And John's actually saying, Jesus is the ultimate wisdom. You'd be wise to build your life on him and his teaching. But John was saying more than that, because in Proverbs and other passages of the wisdom literature, we have this whole theme going through of God's wisdom being foundational. Um, We can have that one off actually. I'll come back to that. Um, and And I think this is absolutely fascinating that Jesus is the incarnation of God's wisdom. The wisdom described in the Old Testament, the wisdom sought after by the Greek philosophers. Jesus is the incarnation of that wisdom. He came and he taught amongst us and if we're going to Really make the best of our lives and has secure foundations, we should take note of his teaching and act upon it. That will be the secure foundations to build on. The problem is that it's very easy for us to get lured away from it by things that seem more attractive. And that was what Alan reminded us last week about the walls in sheep's clothing. But that is building on sand. When we have alternative um, teaching that seems more comfortable, that's insecure, that's and Ultimately, it won't live up to the troubles and trials that this world will throw at us. It's also, as Steve Truscott a couple of weeks ago was talking about the wide, the broad gate. It will be very much easier to go through the broad gate, the things that seem slightly less demanding, more attractive. But that's not gonna provide The foundation that will be secure, that will hold up to the storms of life. No, what we want there is Jesus' teaching. That is secure. That is real. That is God's wisdom. That's what we should build on. That's the bedrock. Jesus himself. Elsewhere, as we sang earlier, Jesus is described as the cornerstone that holds the building together that we should build on. That is what Jesus is. That is who we should build on. That will give us secure life. But now we can have that next slide, um, Ron. I wanted to ask the question, why is Jesus such a secure foundation? Yes, he's the incarnation of God's wisdom. But one of the things that really struck me as I thought about this was those words of Jesus. You know the many I am sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel. The one that really came home to me was where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way because through his death and resurrection, he provides a pathway for forgiveness of sins, sins that separate us from God. He opens up the way into God's presence. And it's as we follow Jesus' way, we follow the wisdom of his teaching, that we experience life in all its fullness. But also, we have that hope of eternity with him. And that is something that is secure, that we can hold on to. That hope in eternity is the life. Jesus is the life. Not only does he make a better life here, but he gives us the hope of eternal life, a life with him forever. That brings hope in an uncertain world, a bedrock on which we can live our lives in troubled times. And then he describes himself as the truth. He's the source of all truth, as we've seen. He is the ultimate incarnation of wisdom. He embodies the eternal truth of God himself, in today's world, so easily, we, it's the custom to go with what you think. If it, if it seems okay to you, it's true. There's a very much more a relativistic uh, concept of truth. But Jesus says, no, there is one truth. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus really does make sense of life. He is the truth that makes sense of every aspect of the way we live, our future, every aspect of our life. And I have to quote C.S. Lewis because it seems obligatory. So if we could have this quote. I like this one. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Jesus makes sense of every aspect of life, so he's a secure foundation on which to build our lives. As we live as his disciples, trusting in him, obeying his teaching, experiencing his power in our lives, we're building on firm foundations that are eternally secure and that will produce an edifice of Christian character which none of the storms of life will destroy but how do we do it how do we go about developing those lives of obedience building the deep foundations I suppose in many ways I'm going to be repeating a bit of what Alan said last week Well, as, as you know I quite like alliteration and I'm going to have three L's just to finish with <laughs> so if we could have step one we've got to listen to Jesus' teaching to listen to him we won't be able to obey his teaching unless we listen to his teaching. How do we do this? It's like the same worn record, isn't it? Because it comes back to reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, which contains his teaching. More than that, though, it's listening to other people expounding the scriptures, reading other people's uh, views on, on what the passage means, meditating on it ourselves, listening to Jesus through the scriptures. Because at the end of the day, that is Jesus' teaching for us. Paul says uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, these well-known words, which I hope will come up. Um, Ron, can you take the next one? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. So we need to allow time and space in our lives. We, we've had so much of this, and the trouble is, we all know it really, don't we? But it's, it's putting it into practice. It has to be a priority in our lives, spending time reading scripture, meditating. And we need to do it prayerfully. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit revealing new things convicting us, correcting us, directing us in new ways, showing us areas where we need to change. And it's as we do this, as we listen to him through scripture, as the Holy Spirit makes those words alive to us, that we realize the truth of those words in Hebrews 12, which, again, I hope will come up. For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. As we listen to God speaking through scripture, it changes our lives, redirects, our foundations get deeper. But step two, I put as learning, because we can listen. We can have the next one, there we go. but we've, we've got to really get it inside us. And part of what I said is, is already about listening, meditating, and so on. But I rather like this second collect uh, this collect here, which um, is the second Sunday in Advent. Blessed Lord who has caused all of scripture to be written for our learning. Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which thou hast given us in our saviour, Jesus Christ. I love some of those old colleagues because they're so rich, aren't they? But the thing I really like about this is the words of inwardly digesting because that's what we need to do with scripture. As we read it, as we meditate on it, what we're looking for is the content of scripture to become part of us. When you digest food, it's assimilated into your body so you grow. And it's as we read scripture and meditate on it, we have to learn it, we have to digest it, so that it becomes part of the way we live. So that when we meet new situations, when we meet troubled situations, the scripture has built within us a way that we can react in a Christ-like way, a way that has that sense of hope when things look bad. Our secure foundations as we learn God's scriptures, Jesus becomes the foundation of our lives. And how do we translate listening into learning? Well, I guess it comes back to doing it regularly. If we have the next slide. I mean, this is, I, I found it really helpful to use a regular time of Bible study with other people's experience through commentaries, scripture union notes, making the passage come alive, talking about it with other people. When you go away from a church service, do you ever sort of say, what did you think of that? Or, I didn't agree with that. Or in other words, thinking about it, challenging yourself and others, so that it becomes part of you. It's not just listening, it's learning. One of my problems as I get older is um, my memory is not nearly as good. And um, other people know, obviously recognize that that's the case. Uh, and so I've taken that uh, it's relatively recently, to writing a journal so that I, I don't forget. Um, it, it, it sort of reinforces it within my brain. And I also realize the importance of not cherry picking bits of scripture, but working through it methodically so I'm, I'm not just reading the bits I'm familiar with, which I'm happy, comfortable with. There's lots of things we can do, talking to others about what we've read. And then finally, from listening, learning to living, and that's really what we've been talking about because we listen, we learn, but building the foundations requires that obedience. It's got to be action, not just the listening. We must live out what we've read. We must live out Jesus' teaching. I I often find that when you start, you're you're prompted by something you've read in scripture. You think, that's interesting, but how do I put it into practice? And sometimes there's a barrier almost. But as we start trying to do what we've read, obey Jesus' teaching. To me, it's a bit like servo-assistance. You know, when you, you put your foot on the brake or you turn the steering wheel. You, you start the process, but then the engine kicks in, and empowers the braking, and it powers the steering. And if we start putting in the effort, I really do believe that the Holy Spirit empowers those actions. And it's as we begin to do this more, as we, if you like, exercise our spiritual lives, we get almost the endorphins that you get in ordinary exercise. It, as you exercise spiritually, you do sense that spiritual well-being and your faith will grow and your foundations will be deeper and more secure. And so then, if we can have the next slide, when the, um, the storms of life come along, we've got that depth of foundation that will hold on. Proverbs ten twenty-five: when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous will stand firm forever. Faith has dug deep foundations as we've listened, we've learned, and we've put it into practice. And then when the hard times come, we'll be better equipped to face the storms of life. So, to finish, let's have that slide just to remind us of what we've been talking about. The two builders, those who build on the firm foundation obeying Jesus' teaching, living it, learning it, Christ, our rock, we'll be able to stand the pressures of life more fully. It's a lifelong project, but it's well worthwhile. Jesus will shape us into the sort of people he wants us to be, the sort of people that can cope when life throws difficult things at us. Unlike if we go our own way, we build on contemporary wisdom rather than eternal wisdom. When the things of life get difficult, as with sinking sand, we'll collapse. I want to end by showing a little video. and It's a very meaningful video to me and to Margaret. It's about a guy who really had a really tough time. A guy called Horatio. Spafford, you may have heard of him. He wrote a hymn that's very famous, especially for those of us who are slightly older, All Is Well With My Soul. And he wrote that after a series of really uh, horrendous tragedies, which we're going to hear about as we watch a video. Then I suggest we have a time of quiet, and then I think the musicians are going to leave this in the song. But this is an example of what it means to build your house upon the rock and to stand up to the storms of life.
2: Spafford was a well-known lawyer and businessman in Chicago in the 1860s, where he lived with his wife, Anna, and their five children. He had invested heavily in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a prosperous man and a devout Christian. However, in 1870, a series of events began to turn Horatio's world upside down. That year, Horatio and Anna's only son died of scarlet fever at the tender age of only four. year later, while the Spaffords were still grieving the loss of their son, the great Chicago fire broke out and destroyed nearly every one of Horatio's investments. His entire life savings was gone. Aware of the toll these disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England, where they planned to accompany the famous evangelist D.L. Moody on his next crusade. However, just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded his family to go on as planned he would follow along later. With this decided, Horatio stayed in Chicago while Anna and the girls boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre to set sail for England. But several days later, Horatio received devastating news. The Ville du Havre had been struck by an iron sailing vessel from England. The ship sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the HMS Titanic 40 years later. The next day, he received the telegraph from Anna, from Wales. It read these six words, Survived alone, what should I do? The Spafford's four daughters were among those who perished. next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During his voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the very place where the Ville du Havre sank. And it was there while staring into the watery grave of his beloved daughters, that Horatio penned the words to the great hymn, It is well with my soul.